Listener Production. This week, a sex education book was taken off the shelves at Big W bookstores due to a conservative backlash, which led to staff being abused at the stores. So the graphic book was called Welcome to Sex and it's designed to introduce tweens and teenagers to sex. Now, in today's briefing, Antoinette chats to one of the authors, Yumi Steins, about her reaction to the book being ripped off the shelves. What I've come to realise, though, is that these people are not the mums and dads who are concerned that they're pretending to be. There definitely are some people like that, but leading these kind of charges are um, cookers, the people who are anti-LGBTQI and they're anti-trans activists. Mm. So anything that kind of speaks truth to those people is a threat. And so they're Mm. trying to tear it down. Now, in a twist, it turns out the book is now tearing up the Amazon bestsellers lists and bookshops are selling out. So this is a really interesting story. And we've got a great interview with one of the authors of the book. That's Yumi Steins in today's briefing. First, Jan Fran is here for today's headlines. It is Friday, the 21st of July. Happy Friday to you, Tom, because we are starting with some very good news here. Mm. Uh, The Matildas, huzzah, have won their first match in the FIFA World Cup in front of a crowd of, get this, 76,000 people. Yes, a raucous crowd. You can hear them there cheering. That was Steph Catley there kicking the penalty that would make the final score 1-0 over the Republic of Ireland. Yeah, it was a big moment. You know, I've been practising a lot and I do like taking set pieces, so I just kind of take it like a set piece, take a breath, hit it where I want to hit it, and luckily it went in. It was a pretty amazing moment Mm -hmm. there very early in the second half. And like I said, record crowds hoping to cheer the Aussies on. I'm sure there was some Irish fans as well, given that this is Australia and there's quite a few of those <laughs> in this country too. Well, our producer, Eleanor, was there. Eleanor, how was it? I was pretty epic. I mean, the atmosphere was just electric and I actually had never realised how many Irish people there were in Sydney <laughs> before. But so, you know, even though they were definitely outnumbered by like just a swathe of sort of yellow, um, you know, they, they did make their feelings felt. I did feel pretty sad for the the captain at the end there with when, she, when they lost, but oh, it was just fantastic to see Australia win. Yeah, and such an awesome crowd for the start of the World Cup that we're hosting. So that is awesome. So Steph Catley, this is the other big news out of the game, she was the stand-in captain because Sam Kerr couldn't play at the last minute because of a calf injury. So it was a bit of a shock bit of news yesterday afternoon. She's going to be out just for the first two matches, not the whole tournament. It was interesting, Jan, after the match, the team's manager admitted that they basically covered this up. They'd, they'd lied about it. Sam Kerr had even done a press conference on Wednesday when she was injured and didn't mention it. And this was all a tactic to avoid distraction. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It probably would have spooked a lot of people out. Mm. I know some of the players were saying that they were kind of channeling her spirit as they were uh, on the field. 35 matches are going to be played right around the country um, in this tournament, which is, you know, supposed to be really good for tourism especially because we've come out of a pandemic and, as we know, you know, international tourism numbers everywhere really are down. So uh, the folks that organise this and, and the cities in which it's going to be held, which is, again, right around the country, the major capitals, really hoping that it's going to bring in the tourists for Australia. And there was a minute's silence at the Matildas game and also New Zealand's first World Cup match last night because of a shooting spree on an Auckland construction site yesterday. So two people were killed, along with the 24-year-old shooter, Matu Reid, 
who eventually turned the gun on himself. He moved through the building site, discharging the firearm as he went. I want to thank the brave men and women of the New Zealand police who ran into the gunfire in order to save the lives of others. Wow, horrific. That's the New Zealand Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins. Ten other people were injured and six of them, including two police officers, are in hospital still. Yeah, well, police are saying that they have still found no political or ideological motive for this. What we do know, though, about the man behind this crime is that he's been convicted of domestic violence charges. He was actually wearing an ankle bracelet um, when he committed the shooting. He was sentenced in March and he was under house arrest, but there were conditions of his bail that allowed him to go to work at the construction site. Wow. I guess they'll be looking back at that bail decision um, with fresh eyes in slightly... Good news, after the minute silence at the New Zealand game, they beat Norway, which is a massive upset, also 1-0, and it's the first time New Zealand have ever won a World Cup match. And the highly paid public servant who oversaw the rollout of the RoboJet scheme has been suspended without pay. So this follows some pretty damning findings from the Royal Commission uh, that found that Catherine Campbell did nothing of substance, this is quote-unquote, when she was exposed to information about the scheme being illegal. Campbell was the Secretary of the Department of Human Services. This was between 2011 and 2017. And that included the start of the RoboJet scheme, which was in 2014. Now, she was moved by Labor to a senior role in the AUKUS deal, the submarine deal, after the election. And, Tom, she was on a salary of almost $900,000. Yeah, not anymore. So there was a lot of speculation um, which names would be in the sealed section of the Royal Commission report. That included the names of the people who would be facing further consequences. We now know that she's one of them. Yeah, that's right. And I suppose questions will still linger around, well, what of the ministers, mm. you know, people like Stuart Robert, Alan Tudge, who were really there sort of overseeing the scheme and in many instances spruiking it. And Scott Morrison as well. All right, we'll catch you later. Antoinette's about to join you for this fascinating interview with Yumi Steins. It's not often that retailers take books off shelves because their staff are being abused, but that's what happened at Big W this week. And and the book that's causing this outrage is a children's book. It's for 12 to 15-year-olds and it's about sex. It's called Welcome to Sex, Your No Silly Questions Guide to Sexuality, Pleasure and Figuring It Out. And it's written by Dr. Melissa Kang. Um, She used to write the columns, the Dolly Doctor columns in the magazines and media personality Yumi Steins. And critics say it's ideological, it's inappropriate and that kids shouldn't be taught stuff like anal, scissoring and penis size. And Yumi Steins has found herself at the centre of yet another social media storm. Yumi, thanks so much for your time. I want to start off by asking what the last few days have been like for you. Like, how are you doing? Because I imagine if Big W staff are being abused, I can only imagine what's being directed your way. Well, Antoinette, you wouldn't be the first person who is giving me a welfare check. I've had a few calls from friends, a few messages from people saying everything okay. Yeah, it's been really, really, really bad, to be honest. I've been crying a lot. 
I've been really triggered because I've been part of media pylons in the past and it's been quite frightening. And there have been real world consequences for my life from this kind of thing. So it really felt like I was back in 2011 and that I was about to take a huge nosedive on my career. I was going to get hated. I was going to get death threats and I was going to be unemployed for the next three years. That's the honest answer. So you mentioned 2011, that was a television appearance when you made some comments about Ben Robert Smith, which led to an enormous sort of pile on and controversy at the time. But of course, now it's about a book and it's the fourth of a series of books on children's thing, issues of developmental issues, periods, boobs. This one is about sex. Welcome to sex. And it was, it was published a couple of months ago, but the outrage is only happening now. Did you prepare for it? Did you brace for it? Or has this come out of the blue? I think my publishers were prepared for a little bit of um, excitement from, say, very conservative Christians, perhaps, as just as an example. But this has been a little bit more out of the blue and a little bit more surprising, I guess, in its viciousness and its baying for blood, kind of the character of it. What gave you the inkling that something was wrong? It first started to tick over a couple of weeks ago. Some um, right-wing Christian groups in South Australia started tagging me with abuse um, and accusing me of creating a groomer's handbook with this book. Um, And I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but that word groomer, Mm. to hear it describing yourself is incredibly confronting. It knocked the wind right out of me. It was I was literally breathless, just kind of going, am I being so horribly misunderstood and is my work, which I've put my heart and soul into, being so horribly misunderstood. What I've come to realise, though, is that these people are not the mums and dads who are concerned that they're pretending to be. There definitely are some people like that, but leading these kind of charges are um, cookers, the people who are anti-LGBTQI and they're anti-trans activists. Mm. So anything that kind of speaks truth to those people is a threat and so they're Mm. trying to tear it down. Well, let's talk about some of those critics. So some are the usual outrage merchants, a lot of angry blokes on TikToks, but there's also a petition from a United Australia Party senator and also an organisation, Women's Forum Australia. They've described the book as graphic and says it teaches children, well, it actually teaches sex to children. What do you make of that, that it's teaching sex to children as, as young as eight? Mm, I don't think you can teach sex to children. I think children will have curiosity about their bodies, which is very normal, very natural and very common. Um, Teaching sex to them, I don't really know what they could possibly be inferring. Is it the idea of forcing them? I don't know. It seems like it's, it's a little bit of a reach, to be quite honest. That person who runs that organization She's literally anti-trans and anti-vax. Like whatever she's got to say, I would take it with a real grain of salt and I wouldn't amplify any of her messages. I think she's an extremist and extremists should just be left in their corner to shout at clouds. There are photos of things like scissoring on a page and there's a page about penis sizes and different shapes. I think the words are along the lines of size does matter. Look, what steps do you take when you're assessing what is age appropriate? Like surely it's it's not as clear as being like, okay, anal and teabagging, we can discuss that when they're 11. <laughs> I wish it was. I'd love to see that spreadsheet, Antoinette. <laughs> oh my God. No, well, listen, we had so many conversations about this. And the fact is that the answer requires nuance. Okay. So, and nuance is what gets lost in a social media pylon. 
So just take a breath and bear with me while I try to explain. Mm. As parents, we know from looking, spending time in our kids' classrooms, for instance, that some kids are real little for their age, little mentally, little spiritually, they're little in size, whereas others are very adult and they're very sophisticated and they can take on big concepts in their developing brains. They might be the exact same age. So age is a really fluid kind of thing to try and pinpoint when you're talking about kids. It's something that I think should be left up to the parents, like, My kid asked me what's scissoring. I don't even know how to answer that. Actually, luckily I have this resource that I can point to and I can read up on it and I can answer their question without cringing or without getting it wrong. Things that have also offended people in the book is like the the idea of penis size, which was Mm. there's a section where we try to debunk some myths around sex. Blue balls is another one. What's blue balls? So explaining what that is. But it's a really important one to tell people that actually penis size doesn't matter. So that's something that we emphasize. If you're a young, insecure teenager and you're freaking out because you're worried about your penis size, to have it said with authority, with scientific backing, that penis size really isn't a great concern. Right. So just to correct myself, it's penis size doesn't matter was the... Yes. Well, I think we said the myth is that penis size matters and we're debunking the myth. You've been quoted, and this is being um, pulled up and used by your critics, that you'd be happy with a mature eight-year-old having a flick through, uh, even though this book is geared towards 10 plus. Like Mm. I have an eight-year-old daughter, and to be fair, I wouldn't give her this, Um, not yet, even though she has read Welcome to Boobs, but my 11-year-old, I would. Does this go back to parental discretion? 100% it goes to parental discretion, absolutely. And if you don't have discretion over what your kids are reading, then what are you doing? Of course, you should have some say in it. The other thing is, and and this is a, a hard thing to explain, but if kids aren't ready to hear some information, it often passes them right by. It doesn't actually register. So anything that is, I don't know, it's too graphic or it's too out there, they're like, I don't even know what that is. They don't take it on as a thing. Are you surprised by what Big W has done in terms of the measures it's taken to protect its employees? No, not at all. I I fully support their decision. I think that everybody deserves to be safe in their workplaces, particularly retail staff who are at the the front line of dealing with customers day in, day out. They definitely should protect their staff. Do you feel that you're being punished for this or or that that they could interpret it, your critics could interpret it as a win and that this could be the sort of behaviour that's replicated because it was, you know, they were able to get Yumi Stein's and Dr Kang's book off the shelves? Yeah, I understand that that's what they're going for, but it's not the truth. The truth is that it's still available online and they're still ordering copies and people are buying it. I think that Big W have been pretty courageous. I like that what they've done. I like that they've stood up for their employees and I like that they've stuck with the book and are continuing to sell the copies. And what has your publisher had to say? Because presumably they don't keep adding more books to a series if there isn't a market for it and if it isn't selling. <laughs> Like, we we kind of understand how publishing works. 
Oh, Antoinette, I love people that work in publishing. They're a little bit like librarians in that they are truly like good-hearted people that are into what they do because God knows they don't get paid very much. The publishers love these books. They're so delighted that something exists that fills a gap in the market. So when we first wrote Welcome to Your Period, there was nothing like it before and there's been nothing like it since. So when you're at that age, that very vulnerable, sweethearted age where you're just on the cusp of starting to menstruate, you need a book that speaks to you and speaks to you in a language you can understand that talks about your concerns, like what happens if I'm having a sleepover or what if I've got a camping trip planned? What do I do to manage this situation? None of that existed beforehand. And similarly, there's not much out there that speaks very clearly to young people about sex because of the fear that gets stirred up around having these conversations. And I can understand why it's a little bit confronting or strange to think about an 8 or 10 or even 11-year-old that you know, whether it's a family friend or a child, talking or learning about fingering or oral sex or scissoring or anal sex. But you're a mother and we understand Mm. that the internet exists. If they're not getting the information in an age-appropriate way, they're getting it elsewhere, aren't they? Uh, 100% they are. And what has come up around all these greater conversations that we as a nation have been having around consent is that the key factor that's been missing so far is education. So that the sooner we get educated, the sooner we educate our children, the more protected they'll be. And this has been backed by a lot of research. The earlier they get sex education, the later they'll have sex and the more likely they are to have happy, fulfilling and consensual sex lives in the future. There's actually a study out of the UK that shows that more than half of 18 to 16-year-olds, they've watched pornography, and usually it's before the age of 14. Do we run the risk of burying our heads in the sand when we think that kids shouldn't, or it's not age-appropriate, or that we're, to use that awful word, grooming them if we talk about these things Mm. earlier? You know, that statistic is correct. It's by the age of 14, at least half of kids have seen explicit pornography. So it's not like a picture of some boobs in a salacious way. It's like that hardcore stuff that you really don't want your kids to see. So assuming that that is across the board, 50% of our kids are being exposed to this stuff, they need a counterbalance that explains, actually, this is what the real world does. This is what real humans do with each other. Pleasure is paramount. Consent is paramount. Not everybody looks like that. Mm. (laughs) And there are ways to do it that are really fun and joyful that hopefully somewhere in your future you will be able to enjoy. So what next? Like, are you bracing yourself for other retailers to follow suit? I fear, even though I hope it's over, I fear it's not. It's a good question, Antoinette. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, I've put my finger to the wind trying to get a read of the uh, the cultural environment. What I'm sensing is that the the average parent in Australia doesn't necessarily weigh in on a social media pylon. They don't necessarily write letters to the editor or call up 3AW in a tantrum, okay? Mm-hmm. They're mostly sitting and they're quite um, pragmatic, listening and watching and making up their own minds. So while the tantrum throwers may be having their moment in the spotlight, I think mum and dad are kind of a little more thoughtful than that. That's author and presenter Yumi Steins. So this one's a tricky one because I think employers do have a duty of care to keep their employees safe. 
And I probably disagree with Yumi, um, you know, who supports the decision. But what about the measure of just hiring security guards or getting the centre management involved to stamp out the abusive behaviour? Because wherever you're positioned ideologically on sex education or any other books, it's pretty problematic if the loudest, angriest voices get a response like this because don't they then go and make TikToks to congratulate themselves as though they're, I don't know, citizen of the month? And I understand why the presenting of this information may be uncomfortable for some. Like, I grew up in a very, very conservative household where sex just wasn't talked about. It was off limits. And any books from my childhood presented sex in a way of, like, don't get pregnant and here's not to get STDs rather than about pleasure and consent and certainly didn't include things like disability and different body types and shapes. And I don't know, if you really don't like the book... Here is a wild idea for you. Because Brace yourself for it. This is honestly, it's going to change your life. It's going to blow your mind. Here it is. Maybe, just maybe, don't buy it. Because kids can and they do access far, far worse content and damaging content about their bodies and sex, and they do it every day. All right, that is it for today's episode. Tomorrow, we have the weekend briefing for you with Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who have you got on this week? This weekend, I am chatting to someone who is all over my social media feeds. I think I first saw Jeremy Franco on TikTok, where he was dressed as his own mum, and he was at a dinner party, and being his mum, was checking that the dinner party host had washed the chicken before they cooked it for their meal. (laughs) Maybe that sounds a bit odd to you, but for those of us who have at least one South Asian parent, this is a very normal interaction. Jeremy is massive on socials and he has this warm, gentle humour with which he parodies his parents and it is ridiculously relatable for kids like me, but I think a really cheeky look into the lives of South Asian Australians for everyone. And he has now become this guy who is on red carpets interviewing pop stars and movie stars at premieres. And, oh guys, I can't even tell you, there's this thing going on about lemons He has started a lemon controversy. It's a really fun weekend listen. Make sure you tune in. That's Jeremy Franco on the weekend briefing tomorrow. Um, Thank you so much for listening. And a big thank you to our hardworking team, senior producer Eleanor Harrison Dengate, whose birthday is tomorrow. Happy birthday and have a great week off next week. Thank you for all your hard work and very early starts. Um, Producer Helen Smith, Matt Curry, our editor and our socials team as well. Thank you for listening. If you love the briefing, please tell your friends about it and we'll catch you Monday. Listener.